but sometimes that is better. everyone, welcome to our bonus episode of Exploited. I'm Alexis Jowski. And the shambling reanimated corpse of Kevin Daly. Ah, and this week we're talking about Pet Cemetery, 1989, directed by Mary Lambert. What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judd? I have my reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judd? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts best not thought of. Something really bad. You're thinking of putting him up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. Paramount Pictures presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Pet Cemetery. 1989, the same year that John List was finally arrested for murdering his family. That's right. <laughs> Mary Lambert, interesting director. She also did Pet Cemetery 2, obviously. And then she did a whole bunch of movies that, that are totally things we would do. And I was looking through. <laughs> like, so I, I would imagine we'll get we'll get back to that. Megapython versus Gatoroid. Yeah. My stepson, my lover, sounds like something we would do for Mother's Day. Yep. Drag Strip Girl, I think I saw at like 2 a.m. on Cinemax in the in the 90s. But and she also did an Urban Legends sequel. I yeah, think it, def- it definitely feels like we've got some uh, some material in here for the future. Yep, but she, she is a woman working in the horror genre, and that is rare and very welcome. Yeah, that's uh, so why I saw when I saw the the director cut up. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, based on the novel by Stephen King, but I don't think that needs mentioning. No, he did the screenplay, too, which can be relevant. It's actually a very, very good adaptation. It's very straight. They they didn't cut too much. No. They didn't change too many things. It's almost exactly like the book. So the film opens with the credits, you know, like going through an actual the, the, the pet cemetery. And there's all the, the, the pet graves. And we have voiceovers of kids narrating about their dead animals. <laughs> Is this... This is where you might be. That has to be where Jonathan Brandis provides narration. <laughs> See, I told you. He's Relevant. one of the kids talking about, oh, God bless Fluffy, or whatever. Such a random coincidence. This is not, yeah, this is not Jonathan Brandis. <laughs> anyway. No, he only came up in conversation in the previous movie. Yeah. He wasn't in Stepfather. He's in Stepfather 2. <laughs> This fucking weird coincidence. But we get to meet our our family, 
that's this movie's about. Because once again, it's, we're all about fa- like Vin Diesel. We're all about family here. Yeah. Well, we picked it for Father's Day. You know, True. we get the dad, Lewis Creed. Well, Doctor Lewis Creed, but he's the most like laid back doctor ever. Not to be confused with Apollo Creed. That's a different movie. No, this is Lewis Creed, played by Dale Midkiff, who went on to do a bunch of B movies and a bunch of television. Yep. We got the mom, Rachel Creed, played by Denise Crosby. Yes. Tasha Yar from that first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, with the rape gangs, right? Yes. Well, she doesn't go to the rape gangs until the mirror universe. (laughs) Well, we used to joke about that all the time. Yes, we did always joke about Tasha Yar and the rape gangs. It's just such a weird, random fact from fucking Star Trek. Like, what? Yeah, it's like... That went dark real fast. Also relevant to our show, because... Well, because, like, Tasha Yar gets killed by a a poop monster in the first season. (laughs) And fans loved her and wanted her more, so they brought in this story about, like, the Mirror Universe, where the Mirror version of Tasha Yar was like, I was raised by rape gangs on Romulus. Fucking and people think Star Trek is better than Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't have rape gangs. Well, I mean it does probably somewhere, but we we thankfully are not subject to them in the media. Disney well Disney keeps the rape gangs a secret. That's right. The mouse hides the hides the rape gangs. Yep. And then they we have their daughter, Ellie, who's like what, five, six years old? Yes. This actress that plays Ellie, Blaze Birdall. Quite a name. Yeah, quite a name. Didn't do a lot of acting. She just now does like narration, like announcements for things. She was on Ghost Rider. Oh. Children's TV show from 1992. Oh, with a W, Ghost Writer. Writer, yes, writer. Not, not the fucking Nicolas Cage movie. No, which I'm sure will show up on our docket at some point. Oh, yeah. Uh, we're going to go through the whole fucking Cage filmography, I'm sure. I mean, he, well, we're not going to do the good ones. <laughs> well, as I say, not the obviously good ones. We're not doing uh, Mandy, Leaving Mandy, Las Vegas. Right. Mandy was excellent, but not like you wouldn't have expected it to be. And finally, Gage is their little baby, played by Miko Hughes. Who would later go on to be in Kindergarten Cop, asking Arnold Schwarzenegger if it was a brain tumor. Or, uh, where I'm familiar with him from, Mercury Rising. Oh, he is the kid in Mercury Rising. Yes, Mommy, Simon is home. Yeah, he's also the child in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yes! That movie's actually good. Yeah, and here he's in Diapers. Yep. Yeah, that kid, he started off... Real fucking young and made a career as a child actor. Yeah, he was over the hill when he was <laughs> he was at Mercury Rising. Yeah. Apparently he was the radio DJ in Tropic Thunder, but I don't remember that character. Even though I love that movie. He's he's like the the narrator for this movie, played <laughs> by Jonathan Prentice. Exactly. So the family the the Creed family's moving into their, their nice New England home because it's a Stephen King story. It's fucking Maine because Yep. Of course it is. And we get their their neighbor, who is the actual star of this movie. Yes. Judd Crandall, played by Fred Gwynn, Herman Munster. Yeah, Herman fucking Munster himself. He owns this movie. Oh, he's so good. So he comes right up, you know, well, well, after the credits, you know, we, we get 
shots of the spooky ass pet cemetery and ellie immediately is like oh look tire swing and just jumps right in it and they're like ellie you should stay out of that old creepy ass tire swing you'll hurt yourself immediately it breaks because it's probably been there for like 30 years with the fucking rope rotting away and we're not even going to talk about the fact that it's probably filled with some you know, horrible spiders or some shit. Oh, there's tons of spiders in that thing. When she's saying mommy, daddy, it hurts, it's because she's being fucking eaten alive by black widows. Brown recluses? I don't know what, I don't know what spiders live in Maine, not gonna lie. Oh, I don't know. Stephen King probably wrote about him, though, somewhere. <laughs> well, uh, uh, they must have haunted his dreams, because how many spider fucking demons has Stephen King written about? Oh, yeah. It! Yeah, like, and that's not like the only one. There isn't there a whole. There's like another story with fucking spiders and shit. So while they're all tending to Ellie and her thousands of spider bites, yep. Gage toddles on out into the the road, which apparently the road that goes through this is just like a big major highway for truckers. Yeah, randomly, like this t- town has. Literally, we see like three people, like three, two people plus the the family. Yeah. Down. And but, apparently, it's apparently like, like major truck truck city, USA. Well, there's apparently a college. Yeah, it's the University of Maine, but it's I don't think it's that close. I think is it the University of Maine? Because I think it's just the trucker college. <laughs> it says University of Maine. Yeah, but people drive there like they drive their trucks on this highway, as we learn later. Yeah. But that's when Jed Crandall comes up and he's like, I've saved your baby. Love his accent. Yeah. I mean, I don't know much about uh, New England accents, but uh, pretty cool accent. Like, um, Ellie points out, oh, there's a path. Wonder where that goes. And he just reminisces, oh, that path. Feels like he's just going to say Pepperidge Farm remembers. That's right. Every line, it feels like Pepperidge Farm remembers, but it's so good. And so they have a cat named Church. They decide to make Church be an outdoor cat with the death highway right there. Yep. Because, you know, the, the Creeds, they're, they're not the smartest fucking family. No, they really are not. Also, I really hate Rachel for most of the movie. She's annoying as shit. Oh, she is. She is in the book, too, though. <laughs> is she? Okay. It's not... Denise Cosby sells this annoying character. She's just so... so 80s. Well, yeah. So I have a note here that I used to live next to a death highway like that. Did you? That claimed pets. Yeah, it's always surprising. It's always the small ones, right? Why are we having these big fucking trucks? I guess they're theorizing that like the truckers just kind of learn the shortcuts. They're like, well, well this road. My whatever. death highway was the interstate, but my house was literally like on the interstate. My address was Interstate 25. <laughs> oh, you were on the 25. So my death highway was the interstate. But I did lose a lot of animals on that, that highway. Uh, yeah. My- Martha lost a horse. Jeez. The Joe Pantliano and fucking Bad Boys. Bad Boys 2. How do you lose a horse? <laughs> well, it gets out and it gets on Death Highway and a truck hits it and the horse explodes. That's how Martha described it to me. I have so many questions. <laughs> Let's continue on with this movie. Um, but Jed explains like, oh, that road used up lots of animals, dogs and cats mostly. Because he has, he has a beer with uh, Lewis. Uh, yeah. With you know. some nice Budweiser product placement. And in fact, uh, he offers Lewis the, the bottle. 
And he's like, do you need a glass? And Lewis goes, no. And he's like, good, good man. <laughs> like, were you going to break the bottle on his head if he said, yes, I need a glass? I mean, to be fair, who drinks Budweiser out of a glass? Unless you're at a ball game and they force you to. Yeah, or you're you're at a bar and it's just on tap. Right, right. But like, if you have the who's taking the bottle of Bud and pouring it? In it's not like it's that kind of beer. I don't know. When I was a teenager, I had my very first beer and I put it in a glass with ice because I was fucking stupid. <laughs> there are some people who do that. I have no idea why. I mean, I put beer in glasses, but it's usually like good beer. But yeah, I, I want it to 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 aerate a bit. If for some unholy reason I'm drinking Budweiser, I don't, I don't care what it's out of. It tastes shitty no matter what. So the next day, they all go, and Jed takes them to see the the pet cemetery where we get the nice spelled sign. And yeah, because it, the kid, the kids made this goddamn place. It was not like the adults helped them. They literally built this fucking place on their own. Yeah, a bunch of kids made this pet cemetery generations including, ago, including Judd. Yeah, Judd's like, here's where my dog, my dog's buried right here. Yep, he's uh, he's he's part of the of the history of the cemetery. And he's explaining like, this is where the dead speak. That like, like not with their voices, it's their their headstones. Yeah, <laughs> he he's not trying to be creepy. It's just that Ellie doesn't understand the concept of death yet. Right, because her mom is refusing to bring up the concept of death, even though. Her dad is a doctor, and people die all the time. Well, also, the mom, Rachel, she has her reasons. They're not very good reasons. She's being selfish about it, like letting her own trauma affect this kid's normal development. Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) But much of the themes of this movie is the acceptance and understanding of death. That's like the whole theme. Yep. And none of the characters in the movie seem capable of this. Yeah. This movie is Judd. more of a of an allegory about what happens if you don't accept death. Not like this is going to happen. It's just like if you don't grow up and just learn to accept that things die, you're, you're going to be fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I have I have issues with death, but but it's uh, establishing that grief is important. You have to just accept it <laughs> and deal with it appropriately. Uh, my daughter, my my oldest daughter, already is. Uh, acquainted with the concept of death, we had one of our chinchillas died. Uh, oh no! While it was a year ago or so, but uh, so she, you know, she she understands the concept. That's how most kids in are yeah. introduced to it to the death of a pet. I, I, and as sad as that is, it is effective, and you know, it's a good lesson. It's hard for me because I hate watching pets die. It fucks me up so bad. Like I'm like a mess for like a month. Yeah, but Jed tries to explain to Ellie, like, oh, you know, your cat, Church, someday he's gonna go go live with God. And Ellie's like, uh-uh, no, he's not God's cat, he's my God, my cat. Let God get his own cat. I like, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that sentiment, though. Mm-hmm. Because it really does kind of hammer home the, the idea of, you know, the fairness of all of this shit. Oh, it gets better later, too. She gets better about that, like, fuck God mentality about death much better. Yeah, there's, uh, there's definitely a, a hatred towards the concept of death from Ellie. So, and also speaking of the cat, she tells her parents the next morning that I don't want Church to get his nuts cut off. <laughs> which is something they picked up from, like, this housekeeper they have. Yeah, they have this, this housekeeper whose <laughs> name 
escapes me. Missy. Her name's Missy. Missy, and she's like fucking crazy. I love, I love when, when, uh, when, uh, fucking Lewis goes out there and is like, oh, I'm taking his nuts cut off. Thank you for teaching my daughter that. And she goes, You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but like, it. like when he's leaving for work, she just goes up to Rachel and she's like, I, I, I wish I had luck to marry a doctor, but nobody will ever marry me. I'm going to die alone. And my stomach I mean, hurts. <laughs> I mean, she knows some stuff that she's not letting on at this point. She's not incorrect. Yeah. Doctor needed to inform his daughter about the importance of spaying and neutering your pets. It's not like Bob Barker right now. But yeah, don't let your fucking, especially don't let your fucking male cat who you keep outside. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Well, I guess it's better than a, he ain't going to bring home kittens. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Except he's just going to father them everywhere. and There's going to be fucking feral cats all over the goddamn place. All the feral cats in Maine are going to come from this one seed. You know, you know my wife is, is from your neck of the woods. She grew up in Canyon City. Yeah. And they had outdoor cats. And they're very territorial. And she had many a male cat that impregnated many of the female cats around her. <laughs> so, yeah. Fucking cats. They do. They do that. Spaniard or your goddamn cats. There was or a, you uh, and your dogs. The last apartments I lived in, which was like a fourplex, there was a ton of stray cats in that neighborhood. Were they doing the strut? Oh, yeah, they were. Well, there was also at a an abandoned house right next door to me, which was just inhabited by the hobo cats. <laughs> Your life has always comes back to hobo. They weren't hobo people. It was just <laughs> one way, one way or another. It was the homeless cat be it, hotel? Be it human or cat. But the that place I lived, there was the the basement with like the recessed windows. Uh huh. And these kittens had fallen in there and broken their legs. Jesus Christ. The whole neighborhood, we were all standing out there. It's like, well, somebody has to do it. Oh, God. These these little kittens are suffering. Somebody's going to have to take care of this. And we're all looking at each other. Yeah, someone's got to go old yeller on these cats. I, I luckily did not pull the short straw. And then he played Life is a Highway. <laughs> yeah, but I went back upstairs and like, blasted Life is a Highway as some dude, poor dude had to kill these kittens. <laughs> but speaking of death... We're, we're going to hell. It's, we were discussing this area. We're definitely going to hell. First day on the job as a doctor, Lewis has a student that's run over by a truck. Fucking brains everywhere. Great practical effects. Oh, yeah, this scared the shit out of me as a kid. Props to the whoever. I mean, there's multiple times the practical effects in this movie are, like, top-notch. Whoever did the, the practical effects just absolutely killed it. Great Cor job. To my notes, it was Jonathan Brandis. <laughs> no. Wow. Man, as a kid. Good <laughs> no. job, Jonathan Brandis. Victim is here is Victor Pascal. He becomes important to this film in an American werewolf in London kind of way. I love this character. Becomes He becomes like the helpful prophet ghost for this family. And in my head canon, he's, he's stuck between life and death, and he has to help this, help this guy in order to achieve <laughs> his release. And if you did a movie told from his perspective, it would be a black comedy. Oh, I want to see that movie now. Because shenanigans ensue so often when he's involved. <laughs> 
Especially like in the climax of the movie when everything is serious. Okay. Yeah. Comic relief ghost is walking around. So that's the movie I think. Uh, if you ever do a spin off of uh, Pet Cemetery, we should just do it. Do it just from Pascal's point of view. That's right. And yeah, like he gives a prophecy here's like the stoniness of a man's heart. <gasps> Then he he go, he tries to go into heaven. He's like, I, I I warned him. Okay, no, not good enough, Pascal. Pascal, get back there. Back to purgatory you go until you finish your job. So he comes as a ghost that night to to like <laughs> this really grim, dark fucking uh, <laughs> Christmas Carol. Yeah, he's like, get up, Lewis. We we got it. We got to go on on a on a nighttime walk. And so he takes Lewis out to the pet cemetery. And he's like, this pet cemetery is where the dead talk. Don't go where the dead walk. You over there? That ground is sour. Stay the fuck away from it. Okay? <laughs> don't go beyond that copse of trees. That's a that's Pueblo. You don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> and Lewis is like, okay, I wasn't planning on it. Thank you, ghost. Whatever. Well, that's because he knows what's about to happen. Because time is a flat circle. Yeah. To where Pascal couldn't go again. Did I do it right? No. Back to purgatory, Victor. Right. Rachel and the kids are going to go visit her parents for Thanksgiving. This, And I realize both movies also take place around Thanksgiving. Yes, they do. And Lewis is staying at home because he does not get along with his in-laws. Yeah, for obvious reasons. And um, Mostly because her dad is a giant shithead. Her parents are evil. Yeah, they are. Like we, we Yeah. Nothing, nothing that's relevant to, to anything. I'm just, it's part of the plot. That, yeah, I just assume Ellie goes along to have some delicious pizza. Well, we can debate whether Chicago-style pizza is pizza, but it is delicious regardless. Well, I go to Old Chicago and it tastes just like regular-ass pizza. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, well, I mean like actual Chicago-style pizza. But while Chicago. Lewis is enjoying his quiet home, Crandall's like, Hey, there's a dead cat over here at the edge of my lawn. You should come take a look at it. So he goes over and, yep, it's the uh, it's it's church. Who's stiff and frozen to the ground. Because apparently uh, not even getting his nuts cut off stopped him from being an idiot. Yep. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to toss this cat out. Well, he wants to, he doesn't want to, like, ruin Ellie's Thanksgiving. So he's like, I'm just going to store it in the fucking garage and deal with it later. Yeah, I'm just going to tell Ellie that, oh, I can't find church. I don't know where he is. Kind of break it. You know, how is he going to introduce Ellie to death is basically the quandary he's stuck here because he and, knows uh, he's going to have to tell Ellie the cat died, but it's going to be the death conversation with his kid. And Judd has a, a lapse of judgment. It's like, Oh, well I got a solution. It, 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 a lapse of judgment in his desire to protect Ellie from the realities of death. He's like, but the, past, 
the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, because he tells Lewis, he's like, let's go over here to the the ground beyond the pet cemetery. Yeah, we're going to Pueblo. Yeah, we're going to the Pueblo cemetery. And he's like, here, just just bury your cat here, but you have to bury it in this in this Micmac Indian burial ground. Yeah. Incidentally, like Pascal's like, oh yeah, don't go beyond there. This fucking cemetery is like a day's hike behind the cemetery. It is, because it's like nighttime. <laughs> the sun's setting when they show up and it's nighttime when they leave. And they have to climb this like fucking sheer cliff to get there. I feel like Cliffs of Dover should be playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. And there's like s- these creepy bird sounds. And Judd's like, oh, that's just a loon. That reminds me of the movie on Golden Pond. Oh. With Norman the Loons, which takes place in, I think, New Hampshire, but it's still fucking New England. <laughs> uh, yeah, a very similar geographical region. But props to this movie, because uh, the neat burial ground, the, the bad burial ground, looks evil. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, um, the thing is, I don't think the burial ground is the part that's supposed to be evil. <laughs> it's, it's the ground beneath it. Yeah. This is that very Lovecraftian thing that, you know, this is where the, the Stephen King Lovecraft influence comes into uh, play. It's, you know, this mysterious evil that lives beneath the surface of, of Maine. It's uh, something beyond what humans should mess with. You know, that's yeah. Jed even tells him it's like it's it's, it's tough ground. It's, it's gonna be hard to dig a grave, but you got to. Here's your fucking mattock and and <laughs> shovel. Get at it. I'm gonna go have a beer over here. Yeah, he just sits over there drinking. Uh, they get home and he, he tells Lewis, he's like, "Hey, don't tell anybody what we did." He's like, "What? What did we do, Jed? A secret thing. Women won't understand the things men do. The soil of a man's heart is stone here, like that ground." <laughs> Well, my my thought was, what did we do, Judd? I'm like, exactly, Lewis. Exactly. <laughs> That's when Rachel and the kids call from Chicago, and he, he gets on the phone with them, tells Ellie, oh, I haven't seen church, and suddenly Ellie is obsessed with church. Right. Just asking a million questions about her cat, make sure he's fed, you know, give him kisses for me. Well, the the, the Ellie has the shining, right? Like that's She does. Implied. It's that yeah. That's like always in like Stephen King stories. Oh, you have like the psychically sensitive child. Like she has the shining. Well, yeah, she's like, is church okay? I had a dream of that church was run over by a truck, and you buried him somewhere. Yeah, she has the shining. Like that's it's not spelled out so much, but it's it's fucking obvious that that Uh, that thread that ties the Stephen King together. Yep, and then Gage gets on the phone and goes, "Hi, Daddy, I love you," and it sounds creepy. Yeah. And Lewis just ignores him, which is very sad. That is sad. So the next morning, Church is back. Yep. Clawed his way out of that grave and has now well, become evil. Smells like undeath. Smells like undead cat. Glowing eyes. Yeah, he's like, oh, you you stink, Church. Yeah, Lewis goes to talk to Judd. He's like, uh, hey, the cat came back, and but it was dead. And Judd's like, oh, yeah, see, here's the truth. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, You bury stuff there and it comes back. But it's not good. Yeah, it comes back, but it's it's not how they were when we uh, <laughs> when they were there originally. Yeah, he's like my my dog Spot. I he died, and I and I buried him up there, and he came back evil and tried to attack like his mom or something. Who yeah, shouts at him? Your dog stinks of the ground you buried him in. And then, uh, yeah, 
so Judd had to put him down and then buried him in the actual, like, not evil pet cemetery. He had to old yeller him. Life is yep. a highway. <laughs> yeah, life, life is a highway to the, uh, his dog, yep. He asks, he's like, has anybody ever buried a person up there to where Jed does a spit take and says, Christ on his throne, no! Which he's full of shit. We, <laughs> assume, we assumed as much. Methinks doth thou protest too much. Yeah. Then we get a long, gratuitous shot of Lewis chilling in this old claw tub that they have. And I'm like, Steve, what's with Stephen King and fucking Bass? If, is, is somebody undead gonna fucking come out? Oh, yeah, like uh, then The Shining. Yeah. And this bath is interrupted by Church just throwing a fucking dead mouse at Lewis and hissing at him. It's a gift for the family. Just yeah. Just taking care of Lewis, because Lewis is a terrible provider. And then Ellie calls again. Oh, wait, no, Ellie comes home, and she's like, where's Church? I had a dream that he was hit by a truck, and you and Mr. Crandall buried him. And it's like, oh, Church is there. And he's like, oh, she's, she's like, oh, Church, you smell terrible. I, I have to give this cat a bath. Like, that seems like a terrible fucking idea. To giving a normal cat a bath is a terrible idea. Giving the demon cat is an even worse idea. <laughs> yeah. Missy, their maid, apparently has cancer and hangs herself. Yeah, she has stomach cancer or something, right? Yeah. Well, she was complaining about her stomach, and she's like, no, it's just my stones. Yep. Uh, stomach cancer sucks. And, uh, yeah, I understand why she did that. Yep. And so they go to the funeral, which is presided over by Stephen King. Who is, like, it's not even... It's funny when you get cameos like that, because it's like, yeah, that's Stephen King. Like, there's no way that could be anybody else. You just Stephen King looks like Stephen King. Nobody looks like Stephen King but Stephen King. Yep. He's the pastor that does the ashes to ashes, dust to dust thing at this. Now's when uh, Lewis has to have the death talk with Ellie. Because yeah, Ellie not, is not like... with the cat, because the cat's undead. The cat's undead, even though she's complaining that, oh, foof, church stinks like shit, but it's still alive-ish. It smells like rotting corpse, but apparently is still alive. Glowing eyes notwithstanding. So she's like, hey, Daddy, do you think Missy went to heaven? And so he's like, well, some people believe. And so he's trying to do the death conversation. Yeah. Then he's got to do the death conversation with Rachel, where Rachel decides to rehash why she hates death. Because when she was little, she had this older sister, Zelda, locked up in some back room dying of spinal meningitis. Right, because that's a, that's a kind thing to do to your daughter. Well... These parents are shit. <laughs> well, they're wealthy too. It's a, it's established that they're. It looks like they're very wealthy, right? Oh yeah, they have well, this fucking like mansion of a house. It's not like they couldn't have afforded to get her treatment. Yeah, but no, they just leave her back there to, and they at least, they, you know, at least like reasonable care. But I think they thought, oh, it's a blight on our name, you know, some fucking rich people bullshit. This sister Zelda is just all twisted and deformed from spinal problems, and she's dying and scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. This oh, woman she's is horrifying. She's lost uh, all sense of sanity by being, you know, locked up with a horrible disease and basically ignored her whole life. The night that her parents go out to wherever shitty rich parents go. Probably the speakeasy, I don't know. Rachel, who's eight at the time, they say, has to, to watch her sister die screaming. Yeah. And then confesses that, like, maybe I was happy when she died. I don't know. I mean, let's be honest. It's kind of a relief for everybody at that point. 
Yeah. And Lewis is like, no, no, your parents are fucked up. They left their eight-year-old daughter alone to take care of her dying sister, who was clinically insane at that point. Oh, yeah, no, her parents are fucking <laughs> evil. They're probably the most evil characters in the entire movie. Yeah. More so than the cemetery itself. The ground in the cemetery is not as evil as Rachel's parents. I mean, if you think about it, the cemetery ground is just, it's a supernatural force. It has no morals. These parents are perfectly aware of what they're doing and don't care. Yep. And uh, sometimes, as Judd says later, sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. Uh, then we get this really prolonged sequence of a chemical truck leaving and heading out onto the highway. Driver singing along to Sheena Was a Punk Rocker, one of two Ramones songs in this movie. Yes. The credit one's my favorite Ramones song, and I'm not even being ironic. Yep. That, that cemetery is my favorite Ramones song. But we know why we're lingering on this truck driver. Yep. So there's a family picnic going on, and Jed's invited. Gage is uh, flying a kite. And the suspense here is actually really well built up, because it's it's like, it's happy, happy. And then the truck driver, Sheena is a punk rocker. Uh, Ellie makes fun of Gage, because he drops the kite, and she's like, that guy got away from him, the numb shit. <laughs> and Gage uh, goes out into the road and gets hit by the truck. Life is a highway. It's in fact a high Q life is a highway. Yep. You're flying it. You got it. Gage is flying it. You got it? Can I fly it now? In a minute, honey. Let Gage finish his turn. We got it. We got it. We got it. Let's see. The kite go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Run by it. Gage is flying it. I'm flying. That kite's getting up there. scene always fucking gets me. Oh, I know, it's so miserable. It is so, like, even when I was a kid and watched it, I was like, no! But then having kids my own, just imagining, like, what if that happened to my kids? Yeah. It's just... And, like, my nephew is that they like, Gage's age, like, two. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, pretty fucking horrific. As much as I joke about the life is a highway thing, because... <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. Because we have a dark <laughs> sense of humor, but we're still human beings. Uh, and then Dale Midkiff decides to overact as much as he possibly can and ruin the following scene. He screams, no! He goes full fucking Darth Vader and... And Sith. <laughs> and Revenge of the Sith and just ruins the goddamn scene. 
So bad. Well, there are good shots here, though, like the fucking kid shoe all covered in blood. Yeah, the cinematographer did a great job. The director did a great job, except he couldn't rein in fucking midkips. Yeah. Shitty acting. And we cut right from this to a bunch of baby pictures. Yeah, they're, this is where the exploitation comes in. They're just like... They really, real heavy on the emotional manipulation. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a uh, this is some Tyson hooks right to the dome. Ellie's carrying around this picture of Gage that she shows to Jed. It's like her pulling Gage in a wagon, and Jed's like, "Oh, look at it! That's a nice picture." She's like, "I'm going to carry this picture until God lets Gage come back." And they're like, "Well, you know, no, God doesn't do things like that." She goes, "He can if he wants." And I'm like, she's not wrong. I mean, if you if you believe in an omniscient and om, om, omnipotent God, yes. Well, yeah. hell, he brings people back to life in the Bible, like fucking Lazarus. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, of course, he brings his own son back to life. Yeah, totally within God's power. He just chooses not to. Because fuck you, Ellie. That's God. That's, That's not- how God feels about you, Ellie. <laughs> And she knows it. What was it George Carlin said? It's like, worst case, God is, you know, evil. And the best case, best case, he just doesn't give a shit. And um, hiding the the truth of death from Ellie by, by putting the cat in the pet cemetery becomes pretty irrelevant when her little brother is run over by a truck like two days later. And she has to face this grief head on. Yes. And then there's the funeral. Yeah. his funeral with the fucking evil father-in-law. Oh, man. If my father-in-law had done anything like that at my kid's funeral, there would be two caskets on that thing. There almost is, because the father-in-law just comes up and is like, You killed this child! Like, you brought in hell! And they fight, and they knock over the casket. I mean, I would have killed that guy. He would have been. <laughs> he would have been getting all ready for his funeral. It would be... Hands would be thrown. There would be there would be nothing. That's like you don't do that. There are no matter how much you hate somebody, you don't go to their funeral and just start like berating them and you know attacking them. Yeah, that's just the worst. And like the coffin pops open for a second, and we see Gage's body, and that sets Lewis off. Yeah, like I said, I would have murdered that dude. That dude would not have made it out of that church alive. I think he was going to murder him until like everybody pulls him it's, off. Yeah, it's his 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 rest of his like coworkers and friends who were there just like dude (laughs) hold hold on so that night lewis is drinking and jed comes over is like okay i know what you're thinking lewis and you're not gonna fucking do this i know you're planning to bury your kid up there and um like maybe he wasn't until you mentioned it but no he he definitely was thinking yeah 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 he was definitely (laughs) and he's like oh i gotta confess i lied um yeah, we buried a person up there once, this local boy, uh, Charlie Baderman. He was killed by uh, in World War II, and they brought him back. They didn't think it was fair, so they tried to bring him back. Well, it was a, not a good idea. Yep, he came back all crazy, and they had to burn him. They set the house on fire, and the guy's yeah. dad was like, No, my son! This is my son! This is still my son! And so he burned alive with his son, and we get the great line. Where he's like, he buried his son up there before he ever had a chance to get to the bottom of the truth. That sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. Sometimes, and that line is repeated throughout. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes dead is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may 
look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. It was four or five days after Timmy's funeral, when Margie Washburn seen Timmy walking up the road towards Yorkie's livery. Time went by. Lots of folks saw Timmy walking back and forth. But it was Margie who finally came to some of us men folks and said it had to be stopped. She knew it was an abomination. So us men sat down and talked it out. Then we got to my car and went over the bait him in place. Take care of it. One way or the other. There's no other way. He's got a burn. You rip him oh, up. Oh, stop it. Timmy, stop it. Stop it. The place is going up. Go away. Get out while you still can, Bill. Bring down the cats. I got him. Wait a minute, fellas. Wait a minute. He's a monster, Bill. Oh. He's my Sometimes dead is better. The Indians knew that. They stopped using that burial ground, and the ground went sour. Don't think about doing it, Lewis. The place gets holier. But the place is evil. Sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. Yeah, it's just the shell. Of yeah. Actually, he's like, I, I, I really regret showing you this place. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. Well, Judd, you had a lapse of judgment and, and a fit of kindness, and uh, well, that's where we are now. He's just vacant when Ellie and Rachel go back to Chicago. He's just like, uh, whatever. Because he's planning, you know... Necromancy. Yeah, he's planning necromancy. Ellie's having nightmares. She's turning into Herbert Herbert West real fast. (laughs) Ellie's like, I had a bad dream about Daddy and Gage and Pat's cow. Right. Yeah, Pat's cow's now back trying to uh, continue to correct... He's trying to continue his quest to get into heaven. Yes, he's still trying to right this wrong. He's trying harder now. He's like, I gotta reach out to the fucking family now. Yeah, Lewis is too goddamn far gone. (laughs) Yeah, because as soon as he drops him off at the airport, he is off to the cemetery digging up Gage. Yeah. Even Pascal shows up. And he's like, Lewis, no! No, dead is better, Lewis! Yeah. But, I mean, I, I know I'm a, a ghost haunting purgatory trying to tell you that it's better to be dead, but, I mean, don't... <laughs> Don't use me as an example. Yeah, uh, Ellie and Rachel decided to uh, take the get the fuck out of this movie plane, unfortunately for Rachel. Yeah, and Ellie's having, like, vivid nightmares. She's screaming in bed about Pat's cow. Her terror, like, props to this young actress. Like, when Rachel is comforting her, you you can- this girl's terror is palpable. Like, damn good acting from her. And Rachel realizes, oh shit, she was talking about Pascal. She's She's been communing with this dead dude that knows what's up. Right, because I think Lewis probably had mentioned Pascal to Rachel at some point. Yeah. Like, being the guy, oh, like, this guy got hit or whatever. And so we get the scene where Rachel is calling, but I'm 
you know, she's not getting an answer because Lewis is out, uh, burying Gage. (laughs) Raising the dead. Yeah. But behind her, like, taking up the majority of this frame is this giant painting on the wall. Yeah. Of this kid wearing, like, a blue outfit, holding a riding crop with a gray cat next to him. Yeah. Like, such huge fucking foreshadowing, and it really makes the point, because Rachel's just a little talking head in the corner of the screen. The rest of the frame is this picture. Yep, and Rachel makes a mistake to get back into this fucking movie. Yeah, and then, like, a little later, she has a nightmare, and we see the picture again in her nightmare. Yeah. But oh, yeah, yeah, that whole scene where it's like, she's like, right there, her Zelda shows up in her dream, and she's like, me and Gage are gonna get you. Yeah. Um, when she doesn't get an answer, like her mom is like, "Oh, he probably went out for a hamburger or a chicken dinner. You know how men are when they're alone." I'm like, "Yes, they they eat chicken." <laughs> I mean, I, uh, I I am prone when I am alone to go get food because it's something to do. Yeah. In this case, though, not what he's doing. So she calls Jed. She's like, "Where where's Lewis?" And Jed knows exactly where Lewis is and is like, um, 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 I don't know. She's like, well, I'm going to fly out there right now. And he's like, fuck, no, no, Rachel, don't do this. Lewis has pulled out the coffin and he has to face his dead son. Pulls out the little dead body and is like hugging him going, it's going to be all right. You're going to come back to me. Here we get a lot of he's going through with this while... Rachel's in a race to get home, but things aren't working out, and Pascal's trying to help her. Yeah, it turns into planes, trains, and automobiles on the other half of the movie. (laughs) And Pascal's fucking sitting on the plane, smiling. Yeah, he's literally, like, pointing out to the, to the, uh, to the flight, the, the... The car uh, rental. Oh, yeah, how about that car right there? Oh, yeah, we do have this. Or when, uh, she's about to miss her connecting flight. And Pascal's like, oh, hold the door open. See, I'm telling you, this makes a great black comedy. It does. Taken from from Pascal's point of view. Because he's doing everything he can to get Rachel there. This is his only way to get beyond purgatory. That's right. And, um, like, she blows out a tire and runs off the road. And Pascal's like, it's trying to stop you. You got to keep going, Rachel. So Lewis finally comes home, exhausted. And we get the shot of, like, a little baby hand climbing out of the grave. Yeah. And there's one shot here that that I had to make note of, is when Rachel gets picked up by this trucker. Yeah. She's in front of this, like, roadside trailer. Like, the the shittiest-looking diner in the world. It's just, like, this trailer. Big sign out front that says lobster. (laughs) Yeah, well, it is Maine. Uh, So I'm thinking, like, midnight lobster truck coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Midnight lobster truck coffee? Is that our new thing? I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. Worse than 9 p.m. taco shop. Midnight lobster truck coffee. We're going down a hole we cannot come out of. Yeah. And so Gage comes back. Um, the cat's following. The cat The cat totally gets along with Gage. They're both from hell. Yeah, they're literally... It's like, hey, I've got an undead friend to hang out with now. Cool. And they dig around in Lewis's medical bag to get the scalpel. And they go right next door to, to Jed's. Just laughing. Oh, Jed wakes up, just sees the little baby footprints and Gage laughing and laughing. 
they kill he kills gay uh jet he like slits his mouth open with his scalpel yeah he cuts his achilles knocks him down the the cat they they tag team this dude the cat like ah jump scared and surprises him and fucking gauge from under the bed with the yeah gets him right the, in the achilles the and then scalpel and then gives him the joker treatment yeah and then decides it's his coup de gras to just fucking bite his throat out. Yeah, it gives him the zombie throat rip with some more great practical effects, of course. When the trucker's dropping off Rachel, Pascal's riding along in the truck, and he's telling Rachel, he's like, this is as far as I can go, it's up to you now, Rachel. I don't know how things are going to work out. Good, I hope. Yeah, she goes, it'll work out. He's like, I'm not sure about that. And so she hears, like, you know, Gage creepy laugh calling her from from jed's house so she goes in there and he's got just a a naturally creepy house yeah yeah he does it's ancient it looks like um the house that herman munster would have in lonely retirement i mean that kind of kind of is what it is like if his wife was dead and the kids had moved on herman munster would be just living in this house alone like there's a fucking organ in this house and so Rachel's hallucinating Zelda, but it turns out it's it's Gage wearing that blue outfit, holding a riding crop with the gray cat next to him, <laughs> exactly like that painting. And she's like, he's like, I brought you something, mommy. And it's the scalpel. We don't see her death, though. We just hear her screams. Yeah, yeah she presumably stabs her. Who knows exactly how it works. Yeah, and so Lewis finally wakes up. And he sees the muddy footprints, and he's like, oh shit, yay, Gage is back. Oh, fuck, my scalpel is missing. <laughs> then immediately a, a phone call from Chicago. They're like, Ellie's in hysterics. She just had a dream that her mother was dead. It's like, ah, I, I'll call you back. And then Gage calls him. Gage calls him, Daddy, come over and play with me. First I played with Jed, and then I played with Mommy. We had an awful good time. Lewis is like, okay, I'm going to have to put Gage down. Gage has gone bad. <laughs> yeah. And he fills up a bunch of syringes, and he tries it out on the cat first. Yeah. And, yep, cat's dead. Oh, I like yeah. how he, he uh, lures the cat, though. Oh, with a nice big piece of steak. He's like, today's Thanksgiving Day for cats, but only if they came back from the dead. Yeah, exactly. And after he ejects the cat, he's like, lie down, play dead. Be dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Dale Midkiff definitely was some overacting in this movie. But it's nice to know that the undead, though they are, they're not as hard to kill as others. You just kill them like normal things. Yeah. So he goes over, and it's all fucked up. He he finds Rachel's dead body. He's like, oh, shit, Gage, what did you do? Like, hangs her. Like, Gage hangs her. <laughs> Yeah, she pops out down from the, the attic, and then Gage jumps out of the attic laughing. Yeah, it's like something out of Child's Play or some shit. Yeah, he he wrestles with Gage before he finally gets um, the syringe into his throat, and he cries, you know, like an actual child, not even like an undead child. It's like real child crying. And he's like, yeah, no yeah. fair, no fair. <laughs> Come here. Yeah.
which both is the uh, the 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 playing is not fair, and the fact that he was killed too young also not fair. I think there's like a double meaning. There's a double meaning there. His his gauge stumbles off and just drops dead. Lewis's solution is just to fucking burn down Jed's house. (laughs) That's the only way to be sure. Yep. And he's got Rachel, and he's gonna—he's headed up to the pet cemetery with Rachel, and Pascal's like, "Fuck no! I'll never get into heaven now." Don't do it. I can do it. She's freshly dead. It didn't work because he was Gage was dead too long. This will work. And Pascal's like, "No, it's not gonna work. This is not like, gonna a, turn out right." That's not how this works. And he just walks right through Pascal. Pascal's like, no, I'm doomed to purgatory forever, you motherfucker. <laughs> That's the womp womp end of that dark comedy. Yep. He buries her, and then so he just sits all night on the kitchen floor playing solitaire with this, like, creepy-ass old deck of cards. Probably stole it from Jed's house. Yeah. And Rachel finally comes home, and she's just super zombie. She's in pus and <laughs> fucking... Yeah. Some more great practice. More, more great practical effects. And um, it was just like Rachel, honey, and kisses her, and she grabs a knife, and you know, fade to black as we hear him screaming, and yep. we get the Ramon song. I don't want to be buried in Pet Cemetery. Yep, love it. Yep, it's a good Ramon song. Nice little uh, like gothy Ramon song. Yeah, and all I, I can think about is, oh fucking poor Ellie. She's stuck living with her grandparents now. No, that's terrible too. Yeah, and she, she, poor Ellie did nothing to deserve that. Stuck with The Shining, fully aware of what has just happened. Yeah, uh, Pet Sematary is an awesome movie. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. <laughs> I could do without Dale Midkiff's uh, overacting, but um, it's 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 good overall. Very good overall. Definitely, I will take this over all the coffee. I yeah. will take yes. this over the. Midnight Lobster Truck Coffee. I will take this over the 9pm Taco Shop Coffee. Is this going to be our new rating system? It's like, how far down the scale are we willing to go? (laughs) Yeah, 6pm Diner Coffee, 9pm Taco Shop Coffee, or, or, you know, over where... 12am Lobster Truck Coffee. Yeah, that's where Supervan lies. (laughs) That's that's the Supervan. I'll still take the 12... 12 a.m. fucking lobster <laughs> shop or super van. That's the super van rating. Yeah, that's the super van rating. This is, uh, you know, Starbucks at six in the morning. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll take this over any of the of the tiers of coffee <laughs> that we have on our very odd rating scale. It's still pretty good. Like I said, Dale Midkiff's kind of iffy performance notwithstanding, the rest of it is very good. Scared the hell out of me. I watched him when I was like 12, 13. And then in middle school, I had a friend that's like, oh, you want to be really scared? Read the book Pet Cemetery, um, from 10 to 12 every night. Interesting. Which I did that summer, and, you know, fucking got scared again. Book's even scarier, because yeah, you have the- to keep revisiting it every night. It, it's not a two-hour read. It took me, a, like, a good week of reading those two hours a night between 12, 10 and 12. Yeah, it's a slow burn. Yeah, that'd be pretty intense. Yeah. I was hallucinating Zelda at a point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess the ending of the book is a little different. Um, and it was actually the original end of the movie, but the studio wanted more slashery, gory stuff. So they changed the more ambiguous ending from the book to be uh, more, well, what the ending was. In the movie. Yeah, because the, the, the ending of the book is basically just him, him taking Rachel up there. 
And that's that's yeah. just where it ends. And Pascal yeah. going like, "No, what are you doing?" Yeah, it's much. It's, you know, it's, it's Stephen. It's interesting because Stephen King's books tend to have ambiguous endings, and then they make an adaptation of it, and they're like trying to. They like to have to like dumb it down for audiences. Yeah, I, Shawshank Redemption is a perfect example of this. Um, in in Rita Hayworth, the Shawshank Redemption, the short story. The story ends with Red getting out of prison and going down on a bus to Mexico, hopes of seeing uh, Dufresne again. And uh, and he says, uh, you know, something about hope. And the title of the short story compilation is Hope Springs Eternal. Yeah. Well, that portion of that story. Yeah. So it's about hope. But it's not, it's ambiguous. He doesn't know for sure. Meanwhile, the movie's like, hey, party on the beach. And that's how the movie ends. It's like, okay, well, that sounds like studio interference. <laughs> that's a really good novella collection, though. Yes, it is. I, I'll, I'll die on the hill that Stephen King's best works are his short fiction, his short stories. Yeah. Well, three of the four stories in that novella got turned into movies. Shawshank, Apt Pupil, and Stand By Me. Yeah, stand well, and of course, Stand by Me is an all-time great. Yeah, at people, the movie—it's mm, <laughs> not as bad as some of the Stephen King adaptations. Yeah, but yeah, um, I, I, I think Stephen King also tends to get in his own way a lot. He's not a very good—he's not very good at writing screenplays. He did okay here though, because he stuck to the the script pretty well. It was a movie that it was a story that lent itself to filming pretty well. It does. Whereas I think some of the stuff, like, how the fuck are you doing Dark Tower? Like, I know they tried to do it, and it was just complete shit. Well, they're doing it as a series now, I believe. See, that might be doable, but if you try to, like, some of this shit just becomes unfilmable after a while, just because it's so dense. Mm -hmm. Which is why short stories are good choices for that, because they're not. Well, most of the short stories, you know, filmmakers can buy the rights for a dollar. He calls them his dollar babies. (laughs) Most of them. Most of the shorts. Some aren't. Can I buy, uh, I think it's called Graduation Day from just after sunset? I would love to film that. Yeah, if you want to. It's a dollar. Because that one is, are you familiar with that one? No, it's, I only read that just after sunset collection story once during it's, a rough uh, time in my life. So a lot of that is just, it didn't stick. It's a wealthy family in New England, Natch. And they're talking, this girl's just graduated high school, and they're talking about her future. Just this a mundane conversation. And then it ends with a nuclear bomb going off in the distance. It's oh, like, I that remember fu- that one now. It's like, none of that fucking matter because the world's ending. And I'm like, I love the nihilism of this story. Oh, that would make a wonderful short story. Short film. Yeah. Short film, yeah. It'd be a great short film. It wouldn't even need much, too. You just need, because it's mostly just dialogue and conversation. Yeah, just a little, little effect of the nuclear bomb in the distance. Yep, wouldn't even take much. Make yeah. a great, great short film. So, Pet Cemetery has a sequel, Pet Cemetery Two, with Edward Furlong. I haven't seen it. With and Anthony da- Anthony Edwards too, apparently. Yeah, and uh, Clancy Brown. Oh, I like him. Yeah. And then there's a 2019 remake, which I've not heard good things about. No. Well, I didn't even know it existed, and then I started looking into it a little bit, and it's uh, apparently not very good. Though it does have John Lithgow as uh, as Judd, which is, that's kind of a something. What's interesting is that the Pet Cemetery remake is written by uh, Matt Greenberg, uh-huh. who, you know, he wrote stuff that we would be doing, 
Like, yeah. we have to do Reign of Fire someday. Oh, the dragon movie with fucking Matthew McConaughey and a yeah. big-ass beard jumping into the dragon's mouth with axes? Post-apocalyptic yeah. dragon movie? Fuck yeah. That movie was was interesting. <laughs> I liked that movie. Okay, minor review of Reign of Fire. I liked the movie, except I think it needed to be either two movies or longer. Because there's a lot of lore that they kind of just go through really goddamn fast. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Dune. There's a lot of background that you kind of need to know, and it just kind of like breezes through it. You don't get quite enough out of it. Um, but he also wrote The Crow Salvation, H two O Halloween H two O Mimic. <laughs> 1408, which is another Stephen King yeah. short story. Um, Children of the Corn, Part 3, Urban Harvest, which if we ever do a Children of the Corn movie, it's going to be that one. And that movie is so fucking goofy. That's the best Children of the Corn movie. What's the movie with the, the fucking thing in the cornfield? Uh, like, is that Jeepers Creepers? Yeah, that's Jeepers Creepers. Okay. I saw the I can't remember which one it was. I saw the one where the bus gets trapped in the... Yeah, that's Jeepers Creepers 2. That's the two? Okay. Yeah. I saw that one. It was um, kind of lame, but it was fun. Speaking of Jeepers Creepers 2, do you know who plays the bus driver? No. Her name escapes me, but she plays the barkeep in the remake of Wicker Man. Oh, which uh, that's a good segue. Yes, that was the point of the segue, is next well, week we are doing well, the Wicker Man. Well, well done. <laughs> yeah. look, look at me. Look at me just randomly <laughs> transitioning into a segue. Yeah. Next week is the remake of The Wicker Man. That's the first of our two movies about bees. Yes. And our bonus uh, feature is a movie about bees. It's absolutely a movie about bees. <laughs> so we will get you then, everybody. I will say the movie we were watching, the second movie we are watching, if you are my age, you probably saw this on TV when you were in elementary school. When I was talking to people at work today... They were like, I remember that movie! I know. And I was like, yeah, it sucks. And they're like, yeah, I think it did. I'm like, oh, it did. <laughs> but we're going to uh, have fun with that. that this, oh, this, yeah. This, this secret B movie here. <laughs> Part of the B panic era. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, the fuck were we thinking? Anyway, that's uh, that's for next week. Yep, that will be next, next week. We will be seeing you. I can't even be mad. Mad. Yep. Yeah, yep. We, we got there. So good night, everybody. Good night. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery.